Democratic caucuses in Iowa are underway. President Trump's impeachment trial has all but ended, and he'll deliver his State of the Union address tomorrow. And then there's all the other news, you know, minor stuff like the spread of the coronavirus and its possible economic impact, Britain's exit from the EU, and and locally attempts by New York City Council staff to unionize. Investigative journalist Bob Henley often covers important and underreported news stories about national and local politics, economics, and policy for public radio, salon, the chief leader, and other news organizations. And I'm very pleased that he is joining us again now to discuss the news that's fit and unfit to print. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. And it's the first time that I think we've been this close to spring in this beautiful office studio that overlooks Atlantic Avenue. Yeah, these studios were... Nicely done. These studios were built with the help of our listeners. Wow. We had a campaign and they came through. Absolutely. So things do get better at BAI. Yeah, sometimes. That's underreported. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about the caucuses, not in the usual right. horse race way, but some of the other things. Well, first of all, uh, your senator, you live in New Jersey, Cory Booker, dropped out of the running right. uh, uh, and it's noted with his departure that all the, the leading Democratic candidates are white. Um, we do, does diversity get much uh, attention in the discussion? I, th- I think that the $55 billion elephant in the room is uh, Michael Bloomberg in the sense that uh, when he decided to come in late and deploy his strategy of sitting out the initial um, uh, votes in the caucus in Iowa and the primary in New Hampshire – it kind of threw up the whole thing. And at the same time, what happened was when he started bigfooting the whole process with, you know, close to $200 million of ads, including the $10 million spent last night on a 60-second ad on the Super Bowl, which was matched by Donald Trump, uh, it really uh, just uh, dwarfed the conventional politics. And so Corey was a casualty of that. Uh, well, be- although <coughs> it should be pointed out that Bloomberg spent his own money. True. And Donald Trump did not spend exactly. That is an important distinction. Yes, it is. Uh, Tom Steyer didn't buy an ad this time, but is it interesting? <laughs> the Bernie Sanders accused Bloomberg of trying to buy his way into the Democratic nomination. Uh, can the same be said about Tom Steyer? Well, I think that Tom Steyer seems to have a more searing critique of capitalism than Michael Bloomberg does. Uh, having covered, uh, having the honor, privilege, and challenge of covering him while he was mayor for a big chunk of those three terms that he was here. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is a strong backer of Wall Street. In fact, during the Obama presidency, when President Obama, uh, not as much as I would have liked, but certainly he did attempt to rein in Wall Street, any time that there was a significant initiative to downsize the banks, bring some kind of clarity and sanity to the de- derivative stuff, Bloomberg, you know, would take uh, to a press conference and say that this was going to undermine the economy. And, you know, he was a champion of Wall Street. And this was important well, at the time. he was a Republican in those well, days. Well, right. And also, he it's important to understand where he came out of. He was, uh, you know, he does have a kind of a Horatio Alger story in the sense that he is self-made. His father died early. Um, he parked cars to get through John Hopkins. He, his first job, he was fired from Salomon Brothers, a trading firm. We got a $10 million parachute. From there, he created this this global information uh, juggernaut. But the thing is that his fortune grew dramatically while he was mayor, exponentially. And he benefited tremendously from the over-financialization of the world in the sense that all these derivatives were created and 
this kind of gambling, casino gambling. And what was great about his technology is it was essential to keep track of all the insane derivatives that were going on. He refused to disclose what he paid in federal taxes while he was mayor of New York. We criticized the president for not showing us his taxes. On what grounds did Bloomberg give? Uh, did he hide behind the same kind of claim that, that Trump Here's has? No, Trump was the, the audit that never ends, which is still ongoing, apparently, according to the president. Uh, Don, uh, with with uh, Bloomberg, when he came into office, uh, created a tremendous challenge to the city's ethics system. There was a conflict of interest bar, which still exists. They exist, and so they had really never dealt with someone of this kind of wealth. So they created this blind trust arrangement. He was supposed to uh, not be involved with the day-to-day management of the business, although those of us who reported on him closely noticed that he did still play a role in big decisions in terms of hiring and other things. And uh, during the time he was mayor, um, he would have these annual disclosures in name only, where you would go, whether it be my colleague Andrew Bernstein or myself, would go to Geller Co. as accountant over there on 3rd Avenue. They would let you be in a room for a time. Things show you a, uh, the list of his, you know, his, uh, his uh, taxes, which was like the phone book for a small Midwestern city. <laughs> and instead of actual numbers, it would be numerical values reflected in letters, like A through G. And G was 500,000, and A would be under 5,000, and everything was G. So you never had a sense of what it was that he actually paid in taxes. Now, what was curious is that while, to be fair, during his tenure, he did raise taxes uh, in the beginning of his term, in general, his attitude was that everybody needed to pay more taxes, and he was very much aligned with that kind of uh, neoliberal worldview. He's still saying that. <clears throat> exactly, and so he thought that everyone should struggle, and he, he, really, remained, he, he really remained blind to the notion that <clears throat> wealth on his scale might be a part of the problem. Now, Politico has reported that Bloomberg received an extension on FEC filings this right. year. Does that help him politically? Well, I think here's the thing. Uh, there's a tremendous incentive. What's going on here, to, going back to the uh, Cory Booker issue, the DNC now has lowered the bar in the sense that in order to get make it easier for Bloomberg to get into the debates by Nevada, they've created a situation where they've let go of the requirement of having so many donors. That was a key thing. And they have raised the requirement for the amount of polling and support you have to get. But this is a big thing for Bloomberg since his one of his selling points is that he is the only donor. That would mean he could never get on the stage. So there is a concern that he's getting this tremendous advantage and he's floating hundreds of millions of dollars. And here's the problem. The DNC uh, is very much in debt to him at this point because he's making a commitment to actually continue to keep his field operation where the winds are not in the field. And also, the, the media, this, the, his buy is going to be of such consequence, mark my words, that the publicly traded corporations that are media entities will have to disclose in their SEC reports they anticipate the windfall from Michael Bloomberg's Blurg spending. Meanwhile, they hold Trump accountable for not releasing his taxes. I have yet to see any major news organization, with the exception of Politico, raise this as an issue and challenge Michael Bloomberg why he doesn't have to disclose his taxes. Several Democrats have criticized the Democratic National Committee for changing the debate qualification rules in a way that aid Bloomberg. Uh, the rules no longer require a minimum number of donors, as you point out. Why give him that break but not Kamala Harris or Cory Booker? Well, I think that they're not, you know, they're not going to look backward. And I think the, the thing here is that what they're trying to do is keep forward momentum. There's no doubt that uh, 
Bloomberg's financial largesse. Uh, you know, this is really coming down to a referendum on capitalism. Let's just put it out there what it is. This Democratic primary is in part, yes, about who can beat Donald Trump. But in, in the main, in, in, at the local level, this is a plebiscite on capitalism in the 21st century. Now, we, uh, you interviewed yeah, Bloomberg a number of times right. when uh, you were reporting for WMYC. Right. right. I'll set this up, the clip we have. Uh, we have one, a clip. Right. Uh, one of the things is that during the period of time of Occupy Wall Street, there was a lot of focus, like, how is it that someone can get tens of billions of dollars? How does that work? So I have been tracking the structuring of Michael Bloomberg's uh, corporate entity, Bloomberg LP, and I noticed that he went from 40 different entities while he was uh, mayor to some 80 some domiciled in Delaware, some in the Cayman Islands, some in Bermuda. And so I took this to Jeffrey Sachs, a professor, and I, I asked him, you know, can you look at this? Uh, and he said, well, this is an example of global wealth that is really beyond the jurisdiction of individual governments. And this is going to be a problem in terms of transparency and regulation. So at one point, I, was, I asked Michael Bloomberg about why he had Bloomberg Cayman Island LLC. And you're with the statement here that you have the Cayman Islands LLC. I'm trying to understand what is the purpose of that Bloomberg Cayman LLC the, the that's company, listed here. Yeah. Companies typically would have, uh, you, you, in a lot of parts of the world, you have to be registered to do business in that country. We have reporters in 120 countries. I don't know about the Cayman Islands, quite honestly. I don't run the company. It's been a long time since I've been there. But we would have subsidiaries in most of those 120 countries, or at least in the 60 uh, cities, because you have to be registered. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with taxes. Sometimes local entities have taxes. You pay them. But in any case, all the earnings come back here, and Americans pay taxes no matter where the money is, is made, uh, offset by taxes paid overseas. So, yeah, so basically so his what argument— is, What is the significance of that? The significance is that he was asked about it publicly and um, came up with an answer that it had to do with the nature of his global enterprise. He had been confronted uh, uh, in 2010 by a great AP reporter, whose name escapes me, regarding his philanthropy, which actually did have booked um, investments in Mauritius and Cayman Islands. And it was, it was funny. It was that it's in a piece I did for Insider NJ today. I actually went back and found the transcript of the – it was one of the situations where President Obama had just laid down his idea for making sure there was transparency in international banking and American Wall Street banking. People were hiding their, their money in and, right. places like the Cayman Islands right. and Panama. In fact, Bear Stearns collapsed as a consequence of the three-card money that went on. A lot of what happened in – the collapse was the result of liabilities being held offshore. This was the thing that's not talked about because it continues to this day. Part of the way they hid things from regulators and even internal control within these companies was to hide these assets and these debts, most importantly, offshore so it wouldn't be on the books so the regulators or even um, the good doobies within these Wall Street firms. And so um, – uh, uh, President Obama had suggested these reforms. Bloomberg did one of these press conferences, and then there, he was talking about how this is the way to make sure that there's tax money paid here locally to have American-based finance. And then Sarah Kugler, that's who it was, remember, uh, had the audacity to say, you've just filed this the, your foundation's forms with your signature about these investments in places like Mauritius and Cayman Islands. And he really got cranky. Some of the time we'll play that, but he really got dismissive, but, but she no, held her ground. But we could play it, unlike the Mike uh, Pompeo thing. <laughs> exactly, uh, that's right. Because we have rules, certain words we can't <laughs> yeah, put Yeah, absolutely. Now, getting back to the whole business of the DNC giving him 
uh, special dispensation. In a number of states, haven't Republicans canceled GOP presidential primaries <laughs> to suppress challenges to the president? Yes, and this has been, uh, you know, this is an example of just how uh, I would say it's like kind of like a fascist takeover of that party. And you have Bill Weld running around trying to get some daylight, but in point of fact, he's, a, he's swallowed the entire enterprise whole. Mm. Uh, my guest is Bob Henley, and we're talking about a wide range of political issues other than the ones, the three that get covered every night on uh, the cable shows and national news shows. You recently wrote in Salon about the climate crisis and third world debt. Are debt and climate connected? Well, particularly what you look at, and I like to try to things to relate it to our personal life, because one of the problems with macro financing uh, is that it seems abstract. So <clears throat> we need to look at how debt works in our own life. Debt, debt in our personal life and the lives of our children <clears throat> in our own lives is about, about social control. And so when you're in debt, and if you happen to be a millennial and you have you know aggregate $1.7 trillion of debt, that means it's things you can't do, right? You got to stay home with mom and dad. You got to stay with roommates you can't stand. You got to surf couch. You got to decide not to get married. You got to not to go to Ikea to buy the furniture you need. Your whole life is really, like I say, stuck nation. That's what my Twitter handle is. So the same thing is applicable here with the generation of, of global debt that's happened. And this is part of that financialization of which Michael Bloomberg is so proud of. Uh, and this is – you have a situation where uh, nations, uh, particularly developing nations, are sold the same kind of thing young people are sold. Wouldn't you like a brand-new infrastructure? You look the kind of person that wants to have state-of-the-art schools, a new foundation, new hospital. And then the International Monetary Fund comes in, the World Bank, and before you know it, all of a sudden, the natural resource base you've got is going to work for not you, but maybe the dictator in the palace, and maybe people far away in Wall Street. But you find yourself – deeply in debt. Then you're like Ecuador. Ecuador. Take Ecuador. I'm going to channel George Carlin here a bit. Ecuador has nothing really to sell except its rainforest. China's holding the bag. And so, don't you know, they sell one-third of the rainforest to who? The Chinese who want to do oil exploration. That's it in a nutshell. Now, Kristalina uh, Georgieva, the managing director of the IMF, and others have warned about the growing power of the financial sector nationally and globally. So they She's are getting it. Uh, has that played a role in the climate change? Well, absolutely, because one of the things that's happened is we're monetizing everything. And so back in the day, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, the banking sector, here's a funny one, served the economy. That's how it worked. So you were a small business person. You went to the bank. You wanted to have a home. You went to a savings and loan. But no. Now what's happened is – the financial services is the whole enchilada. That's the entire thing. And so rather than put the money back to work for people in communities and in small businesses and in the future of the people who actually live in the country, it's put into speculating on derivatives and spinning things to make money with money that it doesn't involve any human beings at all except in spending or saving the ill-gotten trillions of dollars. Do you think that uh, the media plays a role in this in that, it, for example, it it uh, makes uh, Greta Thunberg the uh, the symbol 
of climate change active anti climate change activism uh, when so much else is going on. In fact, right now there's a plague of locusts in Somalia and Kenya, which is barely getting any attention. But it is really a scary thing, and of course there are the the fires that are Australia. decimating sure. Australia. I mean, one of the things about this narrative, and this is why it's so important for people to support WBAI and the chief leader and Salon and City and State and Insider NJ, places that provide independent information that aren't beholden to that you work multinet. For. Exactly, self-serving. But then I'm here for free. Um, and so one of the problems with all this is that you have a situation where we are confronting significant existential threats to the planet right now. But we are still appropriating and budgeting as if our biggest threat is an attack from the Russians or Chinese. So we are spending six to seven hundred billion dollars a year to be able to fight a war on two fronts. And we've been doing it so long without paying for it, Leonard. Here's the scary part. The debt service, seven seven hundred billion dollars, is more than the defense appropriation. So that's how bad off we are. Well we have people in the administration, Congress talking about cutting back on social security and on Medicare and Medicaid. Exactly. Uh, and uh, at the same time, the military budget keeps on going and up that and up. Is, that brings and the me, fence falls down. And, and that's why the central concept here is social control. Just like a lot of debt keeps young people from wanting to do their dream jobs, wanting to follow their ideals, wanting to make art, wanting to overthrow the system, wanting to do something that makes a difference like we did in the 60s. They're kept in their jobs, their mind-numbing, soul-killing jobs to pay off a debt from which there is no redemption except death itself. How's that? That's about where we are. And so if you add into this as global climate situation, they use these huge budget allocations as a way to close off the future to come back to us and say, you know, we're really sorry about that social contract, Bob Henley. We know you're 64 and you're looking forward to Medicare, but we're going to put the carrot just three years down the line. This is Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York, non-commercial, listener-sponsored radio. Uh, does climate change affect the risk of diseases like the uh, coronavirus. Uh, there's growing concern over the coronavirus, obviously, um, and some debate over other aspects of what's being called this pandemic. Joe Biden has said that President Trump is the worst possible leader to deal with such a threat. Ha has the president weakened our capacity to respond to disease outbreaks of this sort? Well, I would say that what he's done is attack the civil service. So, and at the chief leader, we've been covering this sector of the workforce since 1897, not me personally, but, and one of the things that's happened is that he has gone after science. So this is something that, and this is a strong suit of, uh, of Mayor Bloomberg. He is a champion of objective science and uh, has funded it and has funded public health. Um, and so the thing with Bloomberg is he has gone after actual scientists at the USDA, at the you EPA. Trump is going after Trump, sorry. And he has gone after these scientists, these career people, primarily because they're the ones that make industry nervous. So he has actually done things like force them to move several states over. Uh, the shutdown was an example of that. Th this wasn't an accident. That shutdown, as uh, Mulvaney, uh, Mulvaney admitted, uh, OMB acting director, when they did the shutdown, they, they, this in some ways, this moving people around and this attacking the civil service was part of draining the swamp. This wasn't like an accident. This is a strategy. The president's tried to cut budgets at the National Institutes of Health, the, the Centers for Disease Control, the Agency for International Development. Um, is, 
Is it just based on hostility to science, a, a feeling, as he's often said, that climate change and some of the other things that scientists say are a fraud? I think it's part of the deep state. Well, I think that the idea is to make sure that, I mean, one of the things, knowledge is power. And so if, the, if science and the way that we look at technology is only going to be affirmed through the way that the private sector confirms it, well, then they've won the game, right? So there's no d more dynamic tension in terms of public policy debate. Then a fossil fuel goes away as, a, as being a political problem. And so there's no doubt in my mind that this is, look, the stuff he's doing with rolling back controls on dumping chemicals and uh, local municipalities uh, dumping raw sewage into, into rivers. He's really trying to move back the clock because to him, anything that fetters capital is a problem. And he's being rewarded. Look at the Dow. It's 10,000 points up since it came in, 54%. Well, it just went down really bad the other day. Back up it today. They're always looking for a good story. Former officials at the EPA and elsewhere have criticized the president and others in his administration. But have any prominent figures voiced criticism while they're still on the job? Well, I mean, I think we just had uh, an example of that with the folks that came forward related to the uh, diplomatic corps and the people that testified. Uh, and well, so They're all resigning they, now. They're resigning, but they did step forward. And so, um, you know, I think that what's happened is what's been fascinating is the American Federation of Government Employees, which represents around 600, uh, 600,000 workers out of the 2 million, has really stepped forward in a major way. And what's curious, actually, they've had success in beating Trump in Congress. This isn't widely reported, but they, they've gotten some major benefits because they've managed to build coalition. In some ways, it's a roadmap for the Democrats about getting things done. They have found um, uh, members of Congress who represent enough federal workers that they're paying attention in their district, that they've managed to get through like a 3.1% pay increase, 12 weeks um, uh, uh, paternity and, and maternity leave for, for, child, uh, uh, for a child leave. So those are things that have really happened, and they're even getting uh, overturning some of the things that Trump has done through executive order. Well, although the House of Representatives is pretty representative of the population, I just read that the majority... Uh, in the Senate, represent 18% of the U.S. population. Well, and this is this phrase that's very interesting about how the Senate was really about land, that the way that it was apportioned with having two senators per state is really the ultimately undemocratic thing, so we shouldn't be surprised. The thing that I, I find very um, uh, lacking and shallow about the current analysis by most of the media regarding this, our national moment, is that the deterioration that created Donald Trump really started when Congress surrendered the war powers-making responsibility, and for 18 years, we're, we're missing in action. And what's curious is during that time, if you look at the disclosure forms, what Congress did was build its personal fortune. If you look at the net value of what happened. So during that time that they weren't around keeping an eye on this military and further notice uh, war on terrorism, which we now have a position, I guess, in 40% of the Earth's countries, the, this further notice war on terrorism that actually proliferated terrorism that collapsed nation states and set off the worst refu refugee problems since the Second World War. They weren't paying attention then. And so now Donald Trump is actually, he is like the flower on the cactus of the Congress. Mm. It's not really, but he's th not that the began during the Obama administration. And it goes back to, it goes to, back to Bush, really. Mm. I mean, the autopilot related to bomb, shoot him, kill him, that all happened, and that uh, abdication of their fundamental constitutional obligation is almost uh, 20 years old. 
You reported last week on a challenge to the U.S. Office of Special Counsel's ban on federal employees expressing their views on the impeachment of President Trump while they were on the clock. Have federal employees been speaking out about the impeachment? Uh, yes. And as a matter of fact, um, this, um, to give people a little background, this thing called the Hatch Act that was passed in, the ni- in, I think, 1934. And the concept here was not to politicize the government. The civil service, which has its roots in, uh, from the time of President Garfield, the idea of a professional, nonpartisan, uh, merit-based, um, accountable workforce. That was the idea, professionalized government. And so uh, this Hatch Act requires that you not overtly express support um, for the partisan, uh, you know, campaign for candidates and that you be circumspect in that regard. However, um, what's happened is the current uh, OSC um, executive, the leadership there, has really pushed the envelope so that it's it started to even include discussions about issues about President Trump's impeachment. And, and the problem here is that for the AFGE, which is bound and legally responsible for representing its workforce, they have a president who's appointed individuals to lead these agencies whose stated mission up front is to dismantle them. So this puts you in a situation where professionals who've committed their lives to the Department of Education, who've committed their lives to the National Weather Service, now, if they believe in science, if they believe in education, and they want it to count, they have to stand up. So it's not so much their uh, – And if they don't, they're called members of the deep state. Well, uh, and they also can – so their social media feed became an issue. Now, what's what's ironic is Kelly Conway, meanwhile, was being fully partisan on a government salary and actually just thumbed her nose at the entire Hatch Act, and the uh, OSC called for her to be fired, and she just kind of laughed like, you know, warm up the jail cell. It's never going to happen. So She's just one of a number. Right. The OSC cited – um, for example, uh, incorporating Make America Great Again slogans into social media posts, and and uh, the former ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley. Yes. In fact, she was cited for that, and then she left. Um, so there is uh, – that's why I say that – I know that we've had a lot of focus on the Ukraine and the things that Congress was able to put together in terms of the House, but the deep, lingering damage that, that the president has done the high crime and misdemeanor is what he's done to the civil service and the attack he's had on the regulatory structure that um, has endured in the United States and has done things like make accurate weather forecasts. That's subversive. This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. We are listener-sponsored non-commercial radio.
guest today. Uh, the uh, he is the host of the Great American Political Reality TV Show. You have uh, on Twitter. You can be found at Stuck Nation. What's that first thing you said? I'm no, not, not true. That, that, no, 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 no. That's a nice idea. Yeah. Here we create. We're, we're creating it here. Like a resume. You work for the Chief Leader. Yes, I do. Well, that's a union newspaper, but you also write for Salon, uh, City and State, uh, Insider NJ. Uh, and then sometimes you freelance Roar magazine. You did an interview with with uh, Richard Wolf, which we'll, we'll talk that, about. What's later. interesting there is that was picked up, which I'm very grateful for. Um, Economic Update is just a great uh, place. Richard Wolf, professor, mentor of mine, colleague, fantastic. It's on this station, um, and it's around the country. Um, and then also um, WBGO. Um, over in Newark, and uh, the Which chief is going leader. through its own problems right now. I guess it is. Um, and then uh, W, uh, then the chief leader. Um, I for civil servants, I do a lot of work related to nine eleven advocacy. We've talked about that here. It's an ongoing issue. I've been. Um, it's an honor and privilege and challenge really to continue to do this advocacy. But for civil servants or just you know survivors who have issues related to that, I can be reached uh, to help you with what's going on at. B. Henley, H-E-N-N-E-L-L-Y, at rcn.com. Um, we've had some success doing advocacy work, and uh, we're cheaper than lawyers. And we consider what you do important, and that's why we have you back. You also, uh, as you said, uh, mentioned that uh, y- you've been picked up by Economic Update. Well, right. we have an Economic Update here at WBAI <laughs> <laughs> right now that we want to take a couple of minutes to discuss. Uh, and Jesse Lent, my executive producer, has joined us uh, to to talk about the, the fact that this is our first day during the February Fund Drive. Hi, Leonard. Hi, Hi. Bob. Hi. Such a pleasure to be joining uh, both of you uh, here in the studio after having listened to you both for so many years. Uh, I am here, yes. Uh, you know, today is, as Leonard said, I'm here to tell you that today is the first day of WBAI's uh, winter pledge drive, but we promise we're going to keep this short. Uh, I know everyone really wants to get back to this conversation, but I do come bearing some very exciting news, which is that Bob Henley, uh, through the kindness of his own heart, has donated a lunch with him, and more importantly, a tour of City Hall that he will take you on. This is really, uh, you're not going to find this offer anywhere else, where unless you're a good friend of Bob's or maybe a family member. So uh, you can pick the day, any day from Monday to Thursday. Uh, Bob will take you behind the scenes to the places that the average citizen cannot go unless you have the same kind of uh, access that he does to the people in power here in New York City. And uh, and then you get to discuss it all with one of our city's premier journalists. So what could so, be better than that? Sounds great, Jesse. How can I get that? So in order to do that, Leonard, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you can actually do it. I, I will have to talk off the air. All joking aside, the the way to do it is by going right now to our website, WBAI.org, or calling 516-620-3602 and making a $20 contribution per month as a sustaining member. So let me bear it. Become a BAI buddy for $20 a month. Exactly. Let me me dig down on that. This is a a $20 a month contribution taken out of your credit card or your your checking account, whatever is easiest for you. Uh, and, And yes, you become a BAI buddy 
you you get all the the voting rights and privileges and 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 swag that that entitles you to but you also get a really a once in a lifetime chance to pick the brain of uh one of our our city and our nation's great reporters uh, I, I happen to be a big fan of you can't tell the great bob henley so the, the phone number to call is 516-620-3602 that's 516-620-3602 uh, to become a BAI buddy, in this case for uh, at the $20 level. You can also go to www.give2wbai.org. That's give and then the number 2, wbai.org. And you can also just go to our website, wbai.org, and follow the instructions. Now, there's only one of these. Once yeah, this is and, gone, and there are it's many, gone. And, and I'm sure there are other people who would like to support the station, should support the station, because I think that this is one of the most invaluable media sources in the city. Right. Uh, and we're very proud to be connected to it. But since we don't take advertising, we don't. Uh, we, are, we remain so pure that it's almost self-destructive. We don't take any money from foundations, no grants, nothing. We just rely on our listeners to support us. And so if you can become uh, a sustaining member for $10 a month or $15 a month, or, by the way, we said $20 for for Bob Henley. If you decide to become a $50 sustaining member, you can get that as well. <laughs> but <laughs> it also includes a lunch. Hey, you, you get a better My lunch if you do that. <laughs> But this will go, to be clear, to the first listener who signs up to become a BAI buddy at the $20 a month level. As Leonard said, uh, you know, we're, we're big fans of the work that Bob does. And I think that that work really aligns with the mission, not only of this show, but with WBAI in general, as we're often saying uh, this is the station where you find the stories that aren't being talked about elsewhere, or at least— And this show definitely uh, has that goal, and uh, we hope that you as regular listeners to our show uh, will sh help us continue to do what we do. That's a really good point as well. I mean, Bob gave this, this great gift to the station, but it's also significant. We're offering it right now, right here on Leonard Lopez at large, because— what we hope to do is give those kind of marginalized voices and marginalized stories that we were just talking about the long-form treatment that they deserve. I often get emails from publicists asking me, you know, how long is this interview going to be for? Uh, is it live? And the answer is always very simple, unlike a lot of other questions I'm asked from publicists. It's always an hour, and it's always one guest. It's always one topic, and we're never going to compromise. Sounds like therapy. <laughs> well, we do. Uh, uh, we we, we should, don't have a couch anymore, we but we couch. used to. We should bring a couch, a couch in. with a mic. That would be great. Uh, you know, I often tell our engineer Reggie no, you my can't problem. Blame everything so, on no, your yeah. mother. Yeah, you exactly. Know, there are other issues here, <laughs> but. The only way that this uh, experiment in community radio can continue is if we get the support of listeners like you. And I should say here, before I let you guys get back to this fascinating conversation, that if you go uh, to WBAI.org or if you call 516-620-3602 and someone has beat you to uh, this incredible gift uh, that Bob's given, this, this lunch and tour of City Hall from Bob Henley, we haven't forgotten you. Everyone else will be getting a free one-year subscription to Harper's Magazine, which is another organization that we feel aligns with our journalistic um, a great philosophy on this show. Yes, and and and, and uh, old, 
Very. Yeah, it's been it's a 19th century. It began right. in the 19th. Century. Well, and David Halberstam, I, I just started the best and the brightest, and he he that started as a a feature for Harper's. So right. this the the, you know, the sort of definitive book on on the decision making process that got us into the Vietnam War. So Harper's has been and continues to be a right. wonderful institution. Uh, for journalism, so if you and don't a source for us, shows that we rely on them right. because they have such great articles. We've right. often had, uh, you know, we've often had guests from Harper's in the uh, whatever it's been twenty months that we've been doing this show. So we hope that whether you're able to dine with Bob or not, that you'll still become a BAI buddy. But if you want to get that special gift, I'm just going to say it one last time. This is a tour of City Hall and a lunch on Bob Henley explaining his process as a reporter, walking you through the corridors of power where he does his job. Uh, this uh, is sounds like a whole lot of fun to me anyway. You can get this if you are the first person right now to sign up and become a BAI buddy. And you can do that by going to one to going by going to wbai.org or by calling 212-209-2877. Please be sure to mention that your donation is in the name of Letter Lopez. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, let me give that number again. I was reading off of the wrong part. You'd be a sustaining member. For $20 a month. That's an important consideration. Yes, and big thanks to our wonderful engineer, Reggie Johnson, for the the correction. Yes, I was giving the wrong. uh, Forget the last 30 seconds of this broadcast. 516-620-3602. I'll say it again. 516-620-3602 or WBAI.org. Please be sure to mention that your donation is in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. If you're interested in the Bob Henley tour, please mention that that's what you're donating is to to sign up to get the the lunch and tour with Bob Henley. And thank you for your support. And in a few moments, we're going to be talking about the national debt. But we are also concerned about the WBAI debt. We need your support to help us continue going and uh, not get deeper in debt. Uh, we uh, we can only do it with your help. So again, that number one more time: five one six six two zero three six zero two, or go to wbai.org and follow the instructions. And Jesse, thank you so much. And let's can you check and see if uh, somebody's done that, or is that impossible? We, we will see if it has come in, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll do my best to I'll, get that I'd information like by the end, end of the, of the show. show. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll let you guys get back to it. Thanks. Okay. And my guest is Bob Henley, who um, has all sorts of different things that he does. He does radio, public radio, right? Uh, writes for Salon, The Chief Leader, and other publications. And you recently discussed U.S. military spending and the national debt with the economist Richard Wolff. Have there been any new developments there? Well, what's happened, of course, is that um, we have continued in that same direction that we had since 9-11, the momentum is only picking up steam. You had the Trump administration now talk about militarizing space. Um, there's very the little space pushback. force, which space people force. have made fun of, right? But, but still, especially their new logo. Again, he's getting points on the board, and one of the things this is happening as we see being presented with the coronavirus and the kinds of challenges that we face globally. We're not addressing. It's the lost opportunity cost. It's just not the wasted money because we're borrowing money to do it. And the fact that we're, uh, it's kind of like dead money because it sits around in armaments that we hope we never use. Meanwhile, we're confronted with very real infrastructure challenges. 
at every level, and we're not addressing them. And we uh, has the Trump administration proposed any increases in domestic programs? Well, in general, they have been squeezing things down. So they're throwing people off. I mean, one of the things they did with uh, food stamps, which has been mm. just horrendous. Now that this is uh, this is just so typical. Uh, supplemental nutritional um, uh, uh, program is something that has been around. It had a bipartisan coalition that drove it. It was a coalition between red state farmers, who were conservative. And urban uh, and and the senators and Congress people that represented them, and blue states, urban um, members of Congress, for whom it was important that people get enough food to survive. That coalition helped grow this program, and then the Republicans, a little bit before Trump, but they started getting so partisan, and now they're in the process of trying to dismantle the food stamp program, throw seven hundred thousand people off of it. And they're doing it driven with this idea that because these aggregate national unemployment numbers are going down, that, that means that this country is in some form of rebound. And the reality is, and this is the, the cruelest thing the media does, is deny people a fair and accurate representation of the struggle that their lives are about. You have 40% of Americans, according to the Federal Reserve, who are unable to find $400 in, in the event of an emergency. Uh, in, in Iowa today... One out of five children is yeah, living in poverty exactly. in America. Exactly. And this is just not reported because the corporate news media is about driving the markets and selling luxury goods. And so if you're not going to buy a Viking cruise and you're not going to buy a new Mercedes, you're really not in their world. And now, uh, I guess it was a partisan impulse that led to changes in the school lunch program right. because Michelle Obama uh, changed... It uh, during that administration, so cut it. Now it's back to pizza and hamburger. Well, and also one of the things that's happened in New Jersey, I wrote a little bit about this, is this lunch shaming thing. Because the thing is that there is a constituency <clears throat> in the United States that does internalize a kind of Calvinist model that if you're poor, that's a reflection of character defect. Mm -hmm. And so they there is a certain mindset in this culture that if you're wealthy. You have to be virtuous, Jeffrey Epstein notwithstanding. And so this is how we're now governed by a worldview that has uh, that hates the poor and sees the poor and the, the people that find themselves in limited circumstance as morally defective. And that's, to some degree, that's why I say this upcoming election is really a referendum on capitalism. Now, Donald Trump promised to curtail U.S. military involvement abroad. Yeah, how did that work out? Uh, <laughs> That hasn't happened at all. No. Uh, uh, has well, well it, he's done it piecemeal, but not necessarily. For example, like the Kurds aren't unhappy right. when he decided wherever to Vladimir cleared, wherever Erdogan cleared, wherever it was to the advantage of America's um, opposites, geopolitical opposites, he would accommodate them. But he has continued to do. I mean, this reckless strike of. Uh, General Salami, uh, Salanami, um, that was something that set off, and and this is a typical of his administration. He's uh, President Trump does this thing where no one's injured, you know, and then we find out like a few dozen um, um, U.S. military personnel have severe head trauma as a consequence, and then he says it's a headache and makes light of it. This is the nature of this administration, and so there's so much going on to push back on. Um, and that's why I, I, I think it's so important to keep the focus broad-based on the deterioration across the board of our national circumstances. Do we have some kind of national amnesia? Because the last time you were here was about a month ago. The big news story 
included the killing of uh, Major General Qasim Soleimani. Um, and now uh, it's totally fallen off the map and we're moving on to other things. Uh, it's, it's usually, if you watch cable news, it's usually three stories right. that get repeated. And then every so often uh, this thing comes on, breaking news. And it's right. the same breaking news that was breaking news <laughs> in the previous show or in the previous But hour. subconsciously it has a response and you turn to look at it. Right? Yeah. That's how it works. Ha, have the Democratic candidates discussed military policy? Well, I think that to some degree, whatever wave, there's been some discussion that in Iowa that Senator Sanders had some late-breaking enthusiasm. And I do think that uh, Trump's recklessness, particularly the way it was timed, the wag-the-dog timing, because remember, we have to go back and look at what was happening situationally in the Beltway at the time. And this was a way of him shifting the conversation in a huge way. And he's admitted publicly, it's been widely reported, that he did it because he was feeling pressure from conservative senators. So he was really just trying to buy himself some space by acting out geopolitically. And I do think it's mobilized uh, the Democratic left peace base in a way it hasn't been in a while. Why do you think his gaffes, and there have been so many of the, the misspellings, uh, saying that Kansas City is in Kansas, uh, talking about the Tallahassee Trail when he really should have been talking about the Appalachian Trail. And we can go on and on and on beyond the other things that you might criticize him for. Why do you think those things just seem to just not bother anybody? I think you have to look at the dominant narrative, which is for the reporters who are covering him, they have to confer upon him a certain amount of legitimacy in order for themselves to be legitimate. So in some ways, it's kind of a group psychosis. Of course he's the president. So we're going to go through the State of the Union address, right? We're going to have to be put through that. Quite frankly, I think the Democrats have made a mistake. I think if, you're, if, you're, if your republic has been seized by an on, uh, ongoing criminal enterprise, you don't show up at the State of the Union as a Democrat. Like, I understand we can't go into the street and have barricades and, and have like something like uh, some kind of insurrection, but certainly it's time to, uh, to challenge the, the the basic kind of uh, narrative, which is, like you say, normative. And and this is something, remember how it stood out, the people that we, uh, during the 1960s, when uh, people of significance were going to be awarded things at the White House, uh, they would take that moment and put something at personal risk and say, I'm not going to take this award because of the fact that there's this war going on in Vietnam. We need more of that, and we're not seeing it. Maybe I've missed something, but have any of the Democrats spoken out about the fact that uh, the president has recently directed the military to loosen restrictions on the use of landmines? Um, now, uh, President Obama imposed a moratorium in 2014, uh, although the United States never joined the Ottawa Convention, which was the 1997 treaty banning the mines. But um, have any people in the military said a word about Well, in general, the, the thing we've seen, widely reported, is the military is discussed when President Trump reached in and co-opted military justice when there was those celebrated cases of members of the military that did uh, abhorrent acts of violence on civilian population and s kinds of retribution that were against the military code and really were violations of international law. Uh, the military has publicly, we had, I think, a defense secretary that that claimed uh, because he was really upending military justice. Um, and so I do think the problem is that the proliferation of this stuff is is, is across the board. And so it, it's very hard to uh, – and people are trying to stand up, but it's like whack-a-mole. Now, 
you mentioned uh, the uh, the fact that the Republicans and, and Trump have touted the strong economy. Uh, there are obvious ways that spending on roads might boost the economy, but uh, wh- why only military spending? And does that really boost the economy? Well, I mean, here's the thing. We, we need to take these words back. Okay, When we talk about revolution and change, it means bringing these words back to their core meaning that has an essential value for people. Economy is from the Greek household, right? I mean, that's what it's about. For too long, we've been talking about the economy and internalizing the way that the corporate news media does, which is a ticker tape or a, a cry on at the bottom about the price of stock. The, the reality is in 2021 that you have a country uh, where there are, just pick an example, in, in Iowa, the United Way estimates as many as 40% of the population either below the poverty line or struggles week to week to make ends meet. This is a struggling country. This is a country that's, that has an entire generation stranded in student debt, deferring something as basic as having children. So this is now showing up demographically, where young people who would want to get together, want to start a family, can't do that because of the social control extended by debt. And so what they will do is tight, they'll cite national aggregate data. They'll say unemployment to three some odd percent. But nobody lives in the aggregate. And the same deterioration that was happening that Trump exploited, because he got he pointed out the things that Hillary didn't uh, take notice of, in Ohio, in Pennsylvania, the hollowing out of the Rust Belt is continuing. I might add, we're in a, a manufacturing recession with two back-to-back uh, quarters of negative growth. So that's the reality you don't hear about because, again, the point of TD America brought to you by corporate news is selling you and getting you to buy things and to go into debt. They don't talk about the proliferation of household debt. They don't talk about how since the 1970s, instead of increased income, they substituted household debt. Again, this is the stuff that we need to throw over. This is why we need, seriously, a, a socialist, a democratic socialist transformation. It's long overdue. Some economists talk about military Keynesianism, how <laughs> conservatives who oppose spending on social programs like education support spending on the military. Well, it's been pointed out uh, by um, uh, more keen observers on this topic than myself that the way this whole military-industrial complex came into place that Eisenhower warned us about was by making sure that the parts for it and the services for it are spread out throughout the key congressional districts. So you have this um, this entire military uh, industrial complex uh, spread around in places where there's just enough leverage in those places for it to win and to get through. And then you have, of course, the revolving door. That's another thing that's been happening is you have this never-ending flow of people that uh, are in the public sector, they get security clearances, and then they rotate out into the defense community, then they're involved with the projects, and then sometimes even do a couple of spins. It's possible if you're living long enough and want to work past retirement, you can do that puppy two or three times. So uh, is the American political structure ill-suited to address serious long-term problems? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think? I mean, I think in some ways— the, we, Can we blame this on the Founding Fathers because they, well, they gave us, as you pointed out earlier, the inequity slaves. of the yeah, Senate, so. and then uh, there's the, just the whole thing of 
how you don't have to necessarily get a majority to win the presidency. Yeah, so every any bit of change has been uh, has been through very difficult, painful circumstance. So you have look at what happened. What we started with. I did this deep dive into uh, my state, New Jersey. I love New Jersey. I was born there. Uh, but yet, if you look at it, it held on to slavery. It was the last northern state to let go of it. It was very much, it was the state that liked most to uh, imprison people for debt. I mean, for a long time, the roots of our, our government, its primary function was to enforce contracts. I mean, to a large degree, the people that were uh, involved with the American Revolution were people that were in the mercantile class. They were people that were... At, at the high end of the economic situation, but they it, were in a society because of the grand nature of it where there wasn't the kind of wealth disparity there is today and people had access to the ability to at least feed themselves through agriculture. That's been stripped away. should point out that even New York State didn't ban slavery until the 1820s. And they were upset. They wanted to secede. Manhattan wanted to secede uh, uh, and because they had such sympathies with the cotton traders. So, Bob, we've pretty much come to the end of this, and there's so much more to we talk about. We didn't get about. to EMTs. Uh, yeah, we didn't time. get to the EMTs right. uh, uh, quitting their jobs uh, and becoming uh, firefighters because they get paid more. But right. And leaving the uh, meaning that there's less ambulances. It's all part of the same thing we've yeah, been talking exactly. about. Yeah, exactly. The so, pyramid. The golden pyramid. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll address some of those things the next Excellent. time you come by, which will be in a month. Great. Okay? Thank you so much My for monthly check-in. Thanks. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of today's show. Special thanks to Hugh Sansom, who produced this segment. If you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter and also our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. And you're invited to add your comments on any of those various uh, venues. Uh, join us tomorrow when Anna Mae Duane will discuss her book, Educated for Freedom, the incredible story of two fugitive schoolboys who grew up to change a nation. We'll see you then. And we are in the first day of WBAI's Winter Fun Drive. Uh, uh, reminder, we hope that you'll support this show and all the shows here that you hear on WBAI by um, becoming a member of the station. And uh, we hope that you might consider becoming a BAI buddy. Uh, that would be a membership for uh, for ten dollars or more. Uh, that would be uh, sustaining membership, uh, and uh, you can do that by calling us at five one six six two zero three six zero two or going to wbai.org. And uh, Bob, you made a special offer. Nobody has uh, has called in for it right now that we know of. So, do you want to repeat the offer? Yes. Um, the I very guess, generous well, offer. Well, yeah, it's just basically I uh, will take you to lunch and we'll go for a, uh, a, a tour of New York City and Hall that is a municipal building that is uh, open to press and sometimes open to the public depending on the time of day. And that, that would be for a sustaining membership yes. of $20 a month. Great. And uh, we... Uh, it seems to me like a very generous offer and something that you'd think that people would just jump at. Uh, again, the number, 516-620-3602, or go to WBAI.org. You can also go to give to 
WBAI.org. That's give, and then the number two, WBAI.org. Our program director, Linda Perry, has joined us now in the studio. Linda, do you have anything you want to add? Well, I have to add that... Other uh, than we love Bob Henley? We love Bob Henley, and, and Bob, I see you at City Hall when I go to cover press yes, conferences, and you, uh, you are quite well-versed in City Hall uh, lore. Thank you. And um, and also, uh, you can give a wonderful tour of City Hall. Hopefully, uh, a listener will call in and want to go on this tour with you. 516-620-3602 is the number to call. And Leonard, thank you so much for your program and your programs that you've been doing um, over this, this last period of time since we've returned to uh, the airwaves. We've returned well, to you. local control here at WBAI. And we want to keep it that way. We want to keep it that way. We did not appreciate the piped-in programming that was coming from California instead on our frequency, 99.5 FM. That was discouraging, distasteful, disgusting, and horrible. How's that? But we're uh, here now. <laughs> <laughs> but we are here now. And we're by under- the way, the courts decided on our... Uh, decided in our favor because they saw what was going on as an injustice but we still are uh, ha- are under attack and we really still need a show of support to keep this thing going we meaning wbai yes. wbai with a 60-year legacy is under attack from forces that would love to sell the station so we are asking you this is the first day of wbai's winter drive to come aboard to become listener members of wbai you can get a full year membership for $25 a year you can become a buddy for Leonard Lopate's Lopate at Large program or any of our programs for $10 or more a month. For $20, you get a tour with the wonderful Bob Henley, and he'll take you to lunch. You know, there's that great pizza parlor right on the side of uh, a city hall. You just walk up that block, you know, right near the subway. You get your pizza there. and your, Was that and your, your plan, Bob? No, I, have a, I actually have the salad. I'm on, I've, I've lost 40 pounds since November. So well, a lot I, of people yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, but you can get a vegetable pizza. That's like <laughs> it's you know, um, don't pressure him. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever That's it right. is that you really do want. Um, so this is listener sponsored WBAI in New York. Thank you so much, gentlemen. And uh, Leonard, we'll, we'll look forward to hearing you tomorrow. And thank you all of you who have called in. And we hope that uh, if you haven't, you will right now. Again, the number one more time, 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org.